Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Matt Jarbo. Welcome back to Three Buck Theater for the 28th of September 2018. It is the last podcast of the month, the last episode of the month. There is a lot to get through today. There is there is some crazy shit that has been going on. Uh, this news just dropped for one, and that is that Alita Battle Angel has been pushed back from Christmas to spring 2019, which is a very interesting move, in my opinion. It was all set to come out uh, already. I think it was July originally. Then they pushed it back to the to Christmas, and then now they're pushing it back even further, probably because they don't want to compete with Aquaman and Fantastic Beasts and everything else. But there's a caveat. There's a caveat to this particular posting that I find to be so fascinating that uh, I want more info on here. This says 20th Century Fox is making a few key changes to its release calendar, including pushing back Alita Battle Angel and moving or an adding to the calendar an untitled Deadpool movie. Now, the untitled Deadpool movie will open wide and release on December 21st, 2019, while Alita will move uh, from December 21st to 2014. Hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 hold, sorry, I got that wrong. It will, a, a new Deadpool movie will open on December 21st this year. What the fuck does that even mean? What the fuck does that even mean? What, what, what the hell is going on? There's an untitled Deadpool movie coming this year? And that's all there is? It's three months to go until an untitled Deadpool movie comes out? And, and, and there's nothing about it? Okay, like, I, that's all I know for right now, but that is that to me is some uh, seriously uh, insane shit. Okay, basically what we've learned at this point uh, is that there is going to be, a, 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 what was being reported by Hollywood Reporter was an untitled Deadpool 2 or Deadpool movie coming out December 21st this year, which pushed back Alita Battle Angel to uh, February, which then pushed back uh, Dark Phoenix to uh, the summer, and even Gambit got a whole new release date. They're basically trying to like get milk the, they're trying to push out as much as they can before Disney takes over. And it's it's a desperate move, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, what we're seeing here is that uh, it's actually gonna be this untitled Deadpool movie is Deadpool 2's PG-13 re-release. The PG-13 re-release. What in God's name is that shit? PG-13 re-release? What are you all doing? What are you all doing? Why? Okay, it says here that a lazy Friday afternoon was shattered when Tony Century Fox, and they waited until Friday, by the way, the Friday afternoon, uh, suddenly scheduled an untitled Deadpool movie to open on December 21st, 2018. But as events unfolded, we learned that it's actually the PG-13 re-release of Deadpool 2, just in time for the holidays. Uh, so it says just seven months after Deadpool 2 hit theaters, Fox's scheduled Deadpool 2 PG-13 re-release without warning, dropping the bomb on unsuspecting fans, just like this PG-13 cut will drop the F-bomb. Deadline reports that what Fox has listed as the untitled Deadpool movie will be a recut version of the Deadpool sequel. This makes sense considering seven months is not nearly enough time to shoot a whole movie in secret or even a mini feature, but a recut version of an R-rated movie is not entirely unheard of. It's not. They've they've done this kind of stuff before where they just took other content. I mean, if you look at um uh what was it? Uh Ryan Reynolds had said a lot about this during the uh the the the, the buildup for the super duper cut of Deadpool 2, that they had so many different takes, so many different jokes that in many cases it would be like watching a different film. And that might be what they're doing here. This PG 13 cut is stupid. It is ridiculous, it is a waste of damn time and i know i'm not the only one that thinks that i know i'm not the only one that's going this is oh come on oh come on fox what are you doing what are you what are you what are you doing dropping a pg-13 film 
uh, at this point, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I think it, I think it's just, uh, I think it's stupid. I, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's dumb. Uh, and you know what? Grace Randolph right now is probably going like, I was right. Cause she made that claim a couple years ago. She did when Deadpool uh, was getting ready to come out. Uh, she got a lot of flack for suggesting that Fox release a PG 13 cut of the film. Um, so more people can go see it. And a lot of people gave her crap. I gave her crap for that one. A lot of people gave her crap for that. Um, and here it is a couple years later and she's kind of almost proven right. I get, I haven't even looked at her Twitter yet to see whether or not she said anything about this, but she did call it out a couple years ago that they should do a PG 13 cut. And here's the reason why here, here's the reason why they're doing the PG 13 cut right at the end of the year, because they want to make more money for one. That's true. However, what happened with Deadpool one? Deadpool 1, $50 million budget, came out February 2016, grossed $800 million worldwide. Deadpool 2, with the hype coming off of Deadpool 1, the fact that it's a beloved film uh, by many, many, many people out there, we're expecting Deadpool 2 to clear a billion or get closer to a billion. I predicted it was going to be a billion-dollar movie. Then, of course, we find out the release date. The release date wasn't holding at the same weekend or around the same time as Deadpool 1. In fact, they had moved it to the third week of May. This originally after being the first week of June and they wanted to get out of the way of Solo. So they dropped it into the third week of May, which then forced Disney to move Avengers Infinity War up one week to April and not have its coveted first weekend of May opening in order to give it three weeks to rake in the bucks in order to not be uh, to not be impacted by Deadpool. They wanted to make sure they had ample space to make that cash. Well, Deadpool came out, made $88 million on its opening weekend, uh, which was, I think, in line with what the first movie made. And then so Solo came out the next week and it grossed another 80 million and Deadpool only grossed 44 million on its second weekend. And I believe personally that had Deadpool not come out at that point in time, Solo would have made more money. It would have hit that $120 million mark that they were hoping to get. Uh, and then I think Deadpool itself, having not come out at that time, would have also made more money. I'm not saying its original June release would have been great, but you got to space these damn things out, right? You can't sit there and have Avengers Infinity War, the, 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 the hottest property of the year, essentially, coming out, and then wedge in Deadpool 2, another extremely hot property, and then also have Solo coming out a week after that, which whether or not there was, you, you wanted to see Solo or not, it was still considered a hot property. They wedged in too many movies at one time, and it's been a longstanding theory of mine coming off of uh, many, 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 many years of working for movie theaters. Uh, we're talking about 14 years of my life has been spent working in theaters and looking at box office uh, while working there. You you can see that there's only a finite amount of money that goes in to the summer box office season. And that finite amount of money uh, it can get sucked up by certain films. And Avengers Infinity War was gonna be a big suck, right? And people were holding out for, uh, for Incredibles 2 and Jurassic World. I mean, there were some big movies that came out this last summer. There were gonna be some hits. Deadpool got hit and Fox is like, Ooh, we don't like that. Cause it was supposed to be a bigger movie. It's supposed to be a billion dollar movie. So what they're doing now is they're dropping a PG 13 cut right during Christmas break, trying to get more kids to go see it. Why in the hell, why in the hell would parents take their kids to go see Deadpool two PG 13 in theaters when you can already go and buy the Blu-ray right now. And I guarantee you those kids that would go see it have probably already watched Deadpool either with their parents or with their friends or something like that. So there's literally zero incentive to go see this unless it is a true 
alternate cut with like whole new sequences or whole new jokes. You have to make this movie something people want to go see. You have to market this movie as something people want to actually go see right at the same time that Mary Poppins is coming out and Aquaman is out. There is no incentive to go see a movie unless they're trying to re-release it around award season in order to get nominated for best original score or, or sorry, best original song from Celine Dion, which by the way, completely deserves it. Ashes is amazing, is an amazing track. I loved it. And I'm not a big Celine Dion fan, but I felt that was a, a really good thing. Anyway, the, that's where we are. Fox is being stupid again. And Disney just needs to hurry up and take it the hell over. This is happening right now. We, we learned this yesterday after I recorded the show. Uh, Simon Kinberg is, 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 is really kind of blowing everyone's mind right now in regards to uh, where X-Men is, where things are going, and what's going to happen before the Disney merger. And I feel in, re in regards to that Deadpool information that, uh, that what they're trying to do at Fox is, is, just, is just release it all. They're just going to release it all they don't even care anymore they're going to drop it whenever the hell they can before the merger takes place because disney for one is not going to intervene on any of that even though fans don't want x-men dark phoenix to come out anymore um even though there is the argument to be made and someone will make the argument i want to clarify a point there yes it is finishing up that storyline which i understand um at the same time it's a mixed bag but anyway i've said my piece about dark phoenix but what we've learned is more about gambit a movie that should have already been out considering the fact that cheney and tatum said he was playing the role uh during comic-con 26 or was it 2015 when you had all the cast including channing tatum on stage in hall h i know i was there and uh and then uh, nothing since then he's gone through more directors than i've gone through pairs of underwear in that time i'm kidding or am i um but ultimately now we're learning that gambit is not going to be a heist movie anymore which is what it was originally billed as but it's going to be a romantic comedy what the hell is going on at fox no, we want to make we want to make Gambit a romantic comedy. Why do they want to make it a romantic comedy? Because it worked for Deadpool. Deadpool 1 was in essence a romantic movie. It was a date movie. It was a romantic comedy. At the end of the day, that is what it was. Deadpool 2 was a family film. They're not lying in regards to that. They're not lying in how they're playing that whole thing out. But anyway, it says here that the new X-Men movie trailer uh, is scored with the door song, The End, but maybe it won't be. There are still a few X-Men movie projects in the pipeline, although their future is surely somewhat in doubt because of the Disney acquisition. One of those projects is Gambit, the long-in-development solo movie for the X-Men's most Cajun, most hilariously accented member. The guy who directed the new X-Men movie, Simon Kinberg, is doing press around the film, which, okay, to be fair, he's doing press around the film right now. The movie opens in February. He's doing press right now. There's something so wholly off about this at, at this moment in time. It feels like such a huge damage control situation, right? It's like, oh, we released the trailer. Now the director is going to be going out. Aren't they shooting reshoots? Aren't, aren't they still in the process of doing reshoots right now? Um, so again, it's, it's very much a weird situation. They, they are pushing this movie at a very odd time. And I think they're doing it, uh, in the lead up to Venom. I think they're doing it in the lead up to Venom. Now it says here, um, that, uh, Chenny Tatum is still attached to, uh, the star as a character, but Ken, Kinberg told IGN that what they're going for with it is a romantic comedy saying here, you know, when I say romantic comedy, I use a term loosely in the same term that I would use the term Western for Logan loosely. It's not like they're gunslingers at high noon in Logan. It's just a vibe. And I would say the vibe of Gambit is more, has a more, has a romantic or sex comedy vibe to it. While it also very much is a superhero movie with villains and heroes, all of these movies are. 
But he goes on to explain that the character of Gambit is a hustler and a womanizer with a swagger that lent itself to a romantic comedy, saying here, I've read a lot of X-Men comics where Gambit's behavior felt like the polar opposite of that, but what do I know? Yeah, Simon Kinberg, what do, what do you know? You're, 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 like the, you're like the Kevin Feige for freaking uh, Fox's Marvel movies. And what do you know? Apparently, you're just throwing anything at the wall at this point. What I agree that, uh, that you know, <sighs> Would I agree that Gambit is a womanizer? Absolutely. Would I, would I, could I see that being a part of the particular film? Yeah, sure. You want him to be, you know, have the swagger, to have the mystique about him, to have the charisma, the attitude. You want him to be that type of character because Gambit ultimately is that type of character. And it would play well to what it is you're trying to do. But when you're, when you're trying to pitch the movie to get fans excited, to get fans wanting to come to the theater, and you're all like, Gambit's going to be a romantic comedy. In the same way that Logan was considered a Western. Logan was an excellent Western in tone, sure. But the last thing we want when we okay when we look at when we look at Logan and we kind of apply it to the Western mentality, it's more like Unforgiven, right? In that particular regard, where you can see what they're going for stylistically, thematically, uh, the way that James Mangold directed the movie, the way that it was, you know, that it used uh, themes and, and locations and, and dusty or dirtier locations. It set the tone. What is the tone going to be here? Is the tone going to be like the breakup starring Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston? Is that what the tone of Gambit's going to be? Nobody wants that. Nobody's asking for that. They want superhero movies. Yeah, they want them poignant. They want them to have oomph and chutzpah and, and spunk and moxie. And they want them to be true to the characters. No one is going to sit there to go like, I want to take my girlfriend to go see Gambit. I don't know why I did that accent, but I just did. It just happened. It was a thing. Deal with it. Well, let's move on. But no, I mean, no, no one wants it. No one wants it. I don't get it. Is is it just let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks? I mean, I, I saw the, the image this morning of from Empire magazine of the X-Men in their costumes, and it's like it looks terrible. Even Professor X's chair looks like it was built from IKEA. It just looks flimsy as shit. Uh, and I, I just I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're with. I don't know how it's going to play. I also don't like the fact that it sits in the 90s when the first movie was set in the 60s. So it's been a 30 year gap, yet they all only look like five years older. So go figure on that one. Um, the mutant, the mutant gene really does kind of slow down the aging process, right? Anyway, uh, Gambit as Gambit as a romantic comedy. How would that work? If it's because it, again, it's not going to be like you know when Harry met Sally sort of thing, it's, it's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be in, in theme. So it's gonna be him teaming up with whomever. Uh, and that's gonna be where the sparks are gonna fly, right? Uh, that's gonna be where there's gonna be a lot of, a lot of, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, there's clearly feelings. There's clearly emotions. They get themselves in suggestive situations. Are they gonna have a scene where they almost have sex? And that's gonna be part of it. Oh, oh, oh no, the sexual tension is so, is so insane in here. You could cut it with a, with a charged up freaking playing card. You know, it just, it, it, uh, it uh, I mean, yeah, I, I can get it. And I know people out there are going are gonna to probably sit there in the comments and go, yeah, 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 yeah. They've done this kind of stuff before. But is it really what you want to see? Is when you think of, when you think of, okay, when you were pitched the idea of Logan, that it was a take on Old Man Logan, the last Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie, and you know the concept, you know what they're going for, you have a general idea of it. And you go, okay, I get what they're going for with this. I can understand it. I can visualize it. I can see it. And you're like, okay, so it's like a Western. It's like Unforgiven. I get that. And then you head over and you're looking at romantic comedy for Gambit. And you're just all like, 
I'm sorry, come again. Can the acquisition with Fox or Disney please just come faster? Can it just come faster? I'm down for Channing Tatum as, as Gambit. I'm down to see him as Remy LeBeau. I am down for all of that to take place. I'm down for a heist movie that has comedic elements, has sexually charged energy. I'm fine with that. But you don't sit there and sit there and go, well, you know, he's a womanizer and it's going to be like a romantic comedy. It works for Deadpool because they marketed it as that. And the core concept of the film was that. The core, the core elements of the story was about getting Vanessa back and, and, and the comedy of errors to get there. Like, I get that. This, no. No, 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 no. Speaking of no, 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 no. Star Wars fans, your worst nightmare happened today. I'm sorry. Your worst nightmare happened. This could be me being hyperbolic. This could be me being a little bit pedantic, but uh, the, I would argue probably one of the worst things that could happen to Star Wars fans happened today. And that, of course, is, oh, Kathleen Kennedy signed on for three more years. <laughs> signed in for three more years at Lucasfilm. She extended her deal. She, I knew it was going to happen. Something was going to happen at the end of September because we're coming into the final quarter of the year. There was going to probably be a shakeup, but she extended her deal three more years. And I can, I can hear the collective no from fans out there. This is, this is not good, folks. This is not good at all. Uh, it says here that Kathleen Kennedy has reignited her lightsaber. The lead producer and architect of Star Wars franchise has renewed her contract to remain president of Lucasfilm for another three years through 2021. Uh, the move is a vote of confidence in Kennedy, who took command of Lucasfilm after Disney's $4 billion acquisition from Lucas in 2012 and has overseen the relaunch of Star Wars, one of the most revered movie properties in cinematic history. Disney's four new Star Wars films have grossed nearly $4.5 billion at the worldwide box office. Ancillary and merchandising have brought in billions more to the studio's coffers okay but yeah yeah that's true um but as we've learned toy sales and merch sales are down across the board uh hasbro has come out or mattel one of the two came out and basically said like yeah with the last jedi toys they didn't sell very well when toys r us was closing down you could find tons of the force awakens and tons of last jedi and rogue one toys still available and merch sales are down i mean it's just you know they're trying to this is such this this hollywood reporter article uh by alberto e rodriguez oh no that's guy took his picture not the guy who wrote the article um he you, you whoever wrote this article at this point is basically just like it's they're just they're just completely jizzing all over it like oh my god oh my god oh, oh my god no it's what come on man come on solo crashed and burned and it wasn't its own fault the movie was good it was the last jedi anyway uh, but it always hasn't been easy money Kennedy has had to replace directors on two Star Wars movies that were either in production or post. Uh, Chris Lord and Phil Miller were fired from Solo uh, less than a year before the film's release. Kennedy also effectively replaced Rogue One Star Wars story director Gareth uh, Edwards with Helmer Tony Gilroy, though Edwards kept his directing credit. And last year, Colin Trevorrow, Trevor, Trevorrow, I keep, I guess, mispronouncing that, uh, who was to have directed uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, was fired and replaced with the series producer uh, and Episode Seven Helmer, J.J. Abrams, a week later. If I recall correctly, wasn't uh, wasn't Trevorrow? He wasn't really fired. It was like, well, I mean, creative differences, but you can. But this particular article is so so shining a good light on Kennedy. It is just it's just beaming her with like, oh, Kennedy has done nothing wrong. She's been perfect the entire time. A lovely angel running Lucasfilm, doing nothing wrong with that. Four and a half billion worldwide off of four films, which again is not a bad thing at all. But they're basically sugarcoating that the buck stops with her and that the problems that have been found. 
Not even to mention The Last Jedi. Not even to mention of the fan backlash of The, of, of the Last Jedi. Not even to mention of, of Solo crashing and burning. Not to mention of any of that, because they are trying to whitewash her crimes. They are. They're trying to whitewash her damn crimes. Now, <clears throat> Kennedy's position is one of the most visible. Her actions, the most scrutinized. Okay, well, I guess maybe now they're covering it. Hollywood, um, in Hollywood, due to immense popularity of Lucasfilm's franchises, which also includes Indiana Jones. So it's notable that a renewal follows this summer's solo A Star Wars story, the first big screen box office disappointment for the franchise, grossing only $392 million, uh, with leading analysts to estimate a loss of the film at $50 million to $80 million or more. Uh, in contrast, uh, The Last Jedi, which grossed $1 billion. Uh, Kennedy's deal also follows a uh, polarizing reaction to The Last Jedi. Again, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, well, okay. Um, they're going to cover this whole thing here with the not, Rotten Tomatoes. I don't even really want to talk about that one. But real quick, there's, there's another another thing in here I want to cover. But the thing is, the thing with The Last Jedi that, that, that the, the, the fandom menace and, and critics of the film have to realize is that and Black Panther are the number one and two selling movies of the year. And right now, The Last Jedi is actually the number one selling film of the year. Uh, so it sold a lot on home video. It grossed $1.3 billion worldwide. That is not a small number. It's been making money on the home market, whether you like it or not. That's just the reality of where things are. And it is unfortunate. It is really damn unfortunate that, that, that they extended her deal. But the idea here between what Bob Iger did is Bob Iger took hits for her. I took hits for her poor judgment, claiming that the buck stops with him, that he's slowing things down. And then they extended her deal three years for, for some unknown reason. I don't get it personally. I, I figure they would have brought somebody else in. The fans have demanded it. The movie-going community who knows about the situation <clears throat> has utterly demanded it. And as a result of that, I would argue that it's time to just get rid of her. And people could sit there and go, but Matt, you're just being sexist. I'm not being sexist. I just feel... I feel like it's just she's not the right person for the job. I think she's bored of Star Wars and she wants out. Now, it says here, this is what I want to talk about the most because I feel this is interesting. Sources say that the near future of Star Wars lies in television with Kennedy-led Lucasfilm planning on expanding the universe with new characters in that medium. The shows at this stage include live-action series run by Jon Favreau and the animated Star Wars Clone Wars, both of which will bear on Disney's untitled streaming service, which is set to launch in the second half of 2019. Meanwhile, another animated series, Star Wars Resistance premieres on the Disney Channel. Now, I put out a video yesterday as part of this podcast uh, saying I'm sold on Resistance. To me, it looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to sit down and watch it. John Favreau writing and directing and show running um, the uh, the the Star Wars TV series. That's going to be ten episodes for his first season with a rumored estimated budget of about one hundred million dollars, which is about ten million per episode. Just to give you some context on that one, Game of Thrones operates at about a six million dollar budget per episode. So, and, and yeah, I'm just saying they're really, they're really throwing it in there. And Clone Wars is going to be a good way to continue uh, finishing the story. Uh, fans are going to really like that. And I think TV is really going to be where it's at. Telling these stories, building up these characters and creating these narratives that can then find a way into the larger film universe. If they have the chance right now, and this is true, they have the chance right now to do what I kind of commented on a while back, which was to create a Star Wars cinematic universe and have it entail not only the books, which is technically part of the canon, which I still intend on doing that channel where I talk about those, 
Um, but also having it being where you've got uh, the the storyline taking place in the TV show, and then the movies also are going to tie into that. Very similar to Marvel with Agents of Shield, and even uh, Agent Carter, and in some respects the the, the Marvel Netflix series and Hulu and uh, and Cloak and Dagger, which I haven't seen yet. Um, but the point I'm trying to get to here with that essentially is that they have the opportunity to really expand out this franchise in a way that is going to be interesting, that is going to be fascinating, that is going to be fun, and I feel like that is going to probably be the best course of action for Star Wars. If, if, that or they create, and this is what I would love to see personally, um, is the D.B. Weiss and David Benioff that are crafting a, a series of films. Um, you know, we're talking not a trilogy, but a series. I would estimate five. That's my guess. And they're going to create an arc. And I think that arc is going to be played out in the, the in the theaters with this movies and also continued on the small screen. It's a perfect way to blend the two together and then to still have ancillary stories or other parts of the canon told from the books and the comics, therefore creating that massive multimedia event that they want to have. And if they're going back and they're kind of resetting the clock after episode nine and moving forward in that particular fashion, that could actually be a good thing. Now, I know resistance goes back and it takes place during uh, the, the, the the years or whatever leading into The Force Awakens to give us more backstory on the First Order and Poe Dameron and, and hopefully... Uh, Captain Phasma is going to get a lot more backstory um, that will then really kind of elevate her character a bit because she was wasted in the two movies. Um, but uh, and then whatever Favreau is doing takes place about eight years after the events of the uh, of Return of the Jedi. So there's going to be stuff there to play with. But I mean, for where they're going to go next, they have they have a blank slate after episode nine, essentially to get away from the Skywalker saga, to get away from all this stuff. And I think ultimately they're going to do that. And I think they're going to do that. Uh, and they should do that by by blending the two together, the theater and the and the TV. Uh, and if Kennedy can 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 be a good business person and 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 that, learn from her mistakes and get the right people in there, then this deal will have worked. But ultimately, Bob Iger took the hits for her, and then they extended out her deal as to, I think not be deemed as sexist. To be honest with you, look, that could get me in some trouble. People might say that, but in the Me Too era and her actually being a, a, a part of the Times Up movement, like on the board of the Times Up movement. It feels like the extension comes more like a, like kind of like a, a a deal to be made versus the right move for the company. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, and that's not the case at all. And I hope that I'm wrong. I do hope that I'm wrong. But again, given everything else we know, I just kind of feel like mm, I don't know. I, I, I just I want Star Wars to be great again. I don't think Kennedy's the right choice, but we'll have to wait and see. And if if it lies in television, then. Let's go do it. Let's let's do it and let's make it right. Speaking of making it right, speaking of, of doing the right thing in this particular case, uh, there's been a lot of conversation surrounding who is going to be directing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. As I talked about yesterday, Sean Gunn said that Disney is 100% on board to, uh, to to make Guardians 3. They have you know taken it off the production schedule and they are trying to find a new director. And so one of the questions becomes, who is going to direct it? Now, fans want uh, Taika Waititi. Some have suggested Mel Gibson. But Taika Waititi is a big contender simply because of Thor Ragnarok. And that it's in line kind of thematically and in the same kind of humor level as Guardians. And that could be something that could meld well together. Again, as I've pitched, as Guardians of the Galaxy would be a fine way to, to bring Thor to Guardians, give the Guardians their, their finished arc, and then tell a whole new story at the same time. It would be a challenge, but I think it would work out really, really, really well. Um, but who knows at this point? But what we do know is someone who will not be directing it. And that's going to be actually Bradley Cooper, who says here that he is not interested in directing the film. And a lot of people out there were really asking Bradley Cooper if he was going to be 
doing this. They wanted to know. And the reason why is because he's got uh, the remake of A Star is Born, which is getting a lot of award season buzz. And so, you know, you think, to, you know, oh, well, maybe Bradley Cooper would want to come and direct this big budget Marvel film coming off what could be an Oscar nomination or even potentially an Oscar win or a Golden Globe win or something like that. And uh, he has he has said he's not interested. In fact, um, so he says Cooper was asked about the very poss possibility during a press tour for A Star is Born, um, a film that he co-wrote, produced and starred in. Uh, and he says he asked, he's like, oh, in directing it, uh, when asked about Guardians, he said, I could never direct anything that I didn't write. No one could ever No, I could never direct anything that I didn't write. Um, and then it goes on to see, you know, to say that the possibility is out. And that's true. The possibility would be out. Nobody's going to want uh, to have uh, Bradley Cooper direct it. And it's because Bradley Cooper, I mean, you love him as Rocket Raccoon. And, and from what I've seen of A Star is Born, it looks well directed. Um, and he's cutting his chops there, but he probably wants to do more of the intimate indie stuff. People like Bradley Cooper like that kind of stuff and doing rocket raccoon is something he does predominantly probably for a paycheck that, and he probably enjoys vocalizing the character as well. Uh, but at the same time, he just does the voice. He's not on set doing the mocap. That's Sean Gunn. So there's really not that big of a connection. And, and I don't think a lot of fans would want Bradley Cooper to do that anyway. But interestingly, uh, jumping over to this other topic here, uh, Game of Thrones. We know Game of Thrones is coming to an end. We have a few more months to wait, probably six months to wait until the show comes out. Uh, they've already wrapped up filming for the most part. A lot of the stars are already done. We know that Amelia Clark has already been done. It was reported yesterday that she cut her hair. I don't know why that was a an article, but that's, that's, what, that's what we're working with here. And we also found out, you know, in talking with Sophie Turner, who has now been promoting X-Men Dark Phoenix, or just Dark Phoenix, uh, she was being asked a lot about Game of Thrones, especially the finale. And she says here that uh, she believes that the finale will, in fact, divide fans. So Game of Thrones is going to divide fans. Really? I mean, really? Look at the last season. I personally felt the last season was just a, a lot of action, a lot going on in the last season. Some of it felt a little bit too unbelievable, not in regards to like uh, like Deus Ex Machina or just the way that it was written, but it was just like how fast time traveled, how fast people were able to get from one side of Westeros to the other side of Westeros, especially when they needed to get there. That was probably like the biggest faux pas uh, flub that they did last year. But according to Sophie Turner here, uh, she says, ahead of the show's return next year, Sophie Turner has some interesting words about the upcoming series finale of Game of Thrones. Speaking with IGN, the actress says that the finale will likely divide fans. Um, she says here that the comment came during an interview in which she described her reaction to the season eight script, saying a lot of tears. I think, you know, as an actor, it was really satisfying. I think for everyone, everyone's storylines to be able to act out the way that it all ends, it was really satisfying for us. Who knows if it will be satisfying for the fans? I think a lot of fans will be disappointed and a lot of fans will be over the moon. I think I think it will be really interesting to see people's reactions. But for me, reading the script, it was just like heartbreaking to read the very final page of the script. And it just says end of Game of Thrones. It was really emotional. Now, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean for Sansa? What does that mean for Arya? What does that mean for Jon Snow? What does that mean for Daenerys? What does that mean for, you know, Cersei and Jaime and uh, Brienne and, you know, and, and Sam and everyone else? I mean, lots of characters in that show. Almost too many to remember. Um, you know, uh, what about Clegane? You know, the, 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 the Hound and the Mountain. When are they going to have their final battle? That's what I want to see. 
Um, so when I look at this kind of comment, when I look at this kind of statement from from Sophie Turner, she's talking about how uh, some fans will be disappointed. Uh, other fans will be over the moon. It's a good comment to make because it does give you an idea of where things are going to go. You do have fans out there that are Team Lannister, and I don't get it, right? You have fans out there that uh, that are totally wanting to see Cersei take over everything and just, just beat the shit out of the White Walkers and everyone else and maintain her place on the throne because they like her. And I get that. She's been designed to be a likable bad guy. But the way that I look at that comment, at least to me, it says that, who you want to be, who you want to win the Game of Thrones is not who is going to win the Game of Thrones, right? Like, that's what that says to me. So it's kind of like, who could possibly win the Game of Thrones? Well, your key players are going to be Cersei, Jon Snow, Daenerys. Those are your players, really, right? Those are the players for the, for the throne. Everyone else is just the pawn in their game, but now you have the larger battle of the White Walkers. And now that's going to be a big portion of season season eight. I can't wait for that. They got the ice dragon now. It's going to be fucking nuts. It's going to be cool. But those are your three predominant players, right? Now, what I want as a fan is I want Daenerys to actually win. Uh, and I want Tyrion to be the hand. Uh, and I think Tyrion would, or Tyrion to end up ascending to the throne because he would be the most, I think, honestly, Tyrion would be the fairest king of them all or Jon Snow and Tyrion. It, I, Tyrion has to be in the mix. He has to be in the mix. Viserys ain't going to survive. Right. Littlefoot is fucking dead. Viserys. I love Viserys, but Viserys ain't going to survive, you know, or he 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 might just kind of abscond off to like, you know, uh, uh, Essos or whatever the hell it was, the southern continent. Right. He may he may just kind of take off to another land. And be like, ah, I'm leaving. You know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to bail out for right now. My, my little birdies are telling me that my time is up. I'm a bounce. But then at the same time, he also knows that whatever happens, he's tied to the end game. Um, uh, same with whatever her name is, the one witch who's, I can't remember her name right now, but your three main players for the throne are going to be Jon Snow, Daenerys, or, uh, or, or Cersei. And we already know that John, that John and Daenerys went brown chicken, brown cow. And we already know that they're related. And we already know that incest plays a big theme in the show. And we already know, and we can pretty much ascertain that, da that Daenerys is going to get Prager's. We already can tell that. I think that's already like they basically just set up. She had the the miscarriage from Khal Drogo in season one, and that you know like helped her become the mother of dragons. And then here she's met this guy that she's like, man, I really got feelings for this dude. And it's like I have a feeling it's entirely possible fans can be disappointed because Daenerys and Jon Snow don't tell anyone that that their brother that, that they're cousins or no uh, aunt and uncle or aunt and nephew. Um, that they don't tell anyone that they're related and they don't tell anyone that their child is really a flipper baby. Like they could keep that secret and then Bran has got to keep that secret, but Bran is going to be off being the three eyed raven doing his thing. So it's fine. But that could be, that could be the disappointing factor of it, right? Where it's like some fans will be over the moon because the Jon Snow Daenerys thing is, is a cute romance that people really, 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 really like. And some fans could be disappointed because it's like, You've got, again, an incestuous couple on the throne, which then beg begs the question, is, is timing in, in this world, is events in this world cyclical? Those who do not learn from history are bound to repeat it. Um, are we going to see those themes come up and see those themes? Because if you think about it, for example, for, for a second, you had the Targaryens who believed in incest, right? Scraping the bottom, the bottom of the genetic, uh, genetic barrel. Uh, then that went over. They lost. Okay, I was Aegon was killed by by Robert, um, and then 
uh oh no it was it was eris yeah it was, it was eris king eris uh aegon was, was he? i don't remember he was i don't it just I, a lot of characters but anyway so you've got that and then and then robert came in and met, brought in cersei but then cersei and jamie were boning so incest again on the throne and then robert died and then cersei ended up taking over at the end anyway and then there was incest on the throne so incest on the throne is this ongoing present theme in the show so i'm just you know i, I think that's what's gonna happen I think they're going to throw that curveball at us. They're going to ask the question. Like these two people are in love. They are in love. They work well together. They would bring peace to Westeros. They would. They would bring peace to Westeros, both of them together, uh, the North and the South, right? They would. And then they also would have their flipper baby or flipper babies. And we already know that like, you know, with, 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 with Jamie and Cersei would happen with their three kids. But it's also the environment of which those kids were growing up. I mean, Tommen was, Tommen was sad. And so was the other, the daughter who was poisoned. But it's like they could avoid all those things that people don't know. Because everyone knew, everyone knew that, uh, you know, that, that Jamie and, and, and Cersei, like they popped out those kids. Those kids weren't Roberts. Everyone knew it. But people wouldn't know that here unless Bran said something. So I think that's going to be a key part. Anyway, I've kind of ranted on about this for a while anyway. Um, we're running over uh, a lot longer than I thought, but I, I did want to uh, end up today by talking about, uh, uh, night school here because night school opens up today on, uh, on theaters. And I want to take a look at the, at the Rotten Tomato score. I love doing these RT recaps. If you're unfamiliar, I will do these RT recaps where I go through the Rotten Tomatoes. I look at just kind of the top and everything else. Uh, and we'll look to see where things are. So what we see here is Rotten, right now and uh, and uh, this particular movie has got 27% uh, from critics, uh, out of 73 reviews, 20 are fresh, 53 are rotten and, uh, 55% liked from the audience. That's not, but then again, it's only 427 people saw it last night. And the movie only made, I think like one and a half million dollars in, in preview night screenings. And I look at a movie like this and I'm just kind of like, what, what was the damn point of, uh, what was the damn point of, 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 you know, of night school. I saw the trailer. It didn't make me laugh at all. Uh, but it says here, just for those of you who, who don't know, um, so, uh, <laughs> so basically, uh, night school follow, it's a comedy from Malcolm D Lee who did girls trip, which was a big comedy hit last year and follows a group of misfits who are forced to attend adult classes in the long shot chance they'll pass the GED exam. Now that just sounds stupid as hell, but it's a try and it's PG 13, whereas girls trip was R rated and a raunchy R rated, which is what put Tiffany Haddish on the map. So it's kind of stupid to not play into that same trope. Tiffany Haddish is not a funny person. She's not a funny person unless she's doing the, the crude raunchy stuff. Then it's funny. But when she's trying to play it clean, you can't do it. Some people can't do clean comedy. They just cannot do it at all. Um, the movie stars, uh, you know, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, Rob Riggle, Taryn Killam, Romy Malalko, and Mary Lynn Rashkub. And all of those people are pretty good. Um, you know, uh, Rob Riggle is fantastic. Uh, Romani Malka was, was great in weeds. Mary Lynn Rash, Rashka was good. And, um, she was, she was really good in, um, as Chloe on, uh, on 24, not in the comedy, but she was good in the dramatic role. And then Taryn Killam, I like, uh, from SNL. Uh, but here's what just, just the top, top reviews are saying here. Um, so you've got, uh, Emily Yoshida from New York magazine saying there's a lot of surf, uh, sophomore silliness night school feels obliged or obligated to perform, but there's a heap of good intentions behind it. Big enough laughs to make us want to forgive it in the end. So she likes it. But then CNN.com's Brian Lowry says here, uh, rotten review. If you're forced to choose skip night school, a remedial level comedy. 
Uh, Matt Zoller cites from Roger Ebert says, and this is a positive review, to its credit of Lee and his collaborators from night school pitches, a big comedic tent or a comedic tent big enough to contain something silly for everyone. Whereas uh, Soraya Ty Black from Globe and Mail says, uh, Haddish is given little little to work with, a fact that's mo- almost criminal considering how rising her star power has been over the last year is almost entirely indebted on her charisma and disarming slapstick style, which again is what I pointed out, what I said before, is she's funny in that in that raunchy sense. Whereas if you're not giving her that type of freedom, kind of like uh, kind of like Ryan Reynolds and Van Wilder. He was great in Van Wilder, and then they tried toning him down in other particular films, uh, and it didn't work out very well. That's one of the reasons why I think like he's great in Van Wilder, as well as Blade Trinity, because he basically was Wade Wilson, just a vampire hunter. Uh, you got uh, Adam Graham here, another rotten review uh, from Detroit News, saying Hart and Haddish are both wildly gifted comedians, but Night School doesn't allow them to riff. Whereas Justin Chang from LA Times here says, for all of her improv- uh, improvisational skill and that of her top-billed co-star, the much-vaunted Hart and Haddish pairing never pays dividends. It feels more like half and half. And yeah, that's kind of what it what the, the general rules, the, the general ideas there are kind of coming up. There's a lot more that are basically saying it's like, you know, it's pretty dumb. Um, it doesn't pay off. The comedy stylings aren't there. It's a poor, it's a poorly matched thing. And Kevin Hart is, is hit or miss for that, right? Like you had him a couple years ago, teaming up with Will Ferrell for Get Hard in 2015, which was, which was pretty funny, stupid, but pretty funny. Then you had Central Intelligence with him and The Rock. That was actually really stupid. The movie was pretty bad, um, but it still grows well enough for them to want to do a sequel. And then he comes over and he does this sort of thing, right? And you're just like, okay, Kevin Hart, like pick your, pick your roles a little bit better just because somebody shows up with a bucket full of money in a script doesn't mean you have to do it but kevin hart to his credit and tiffany haddish to her credit they hustling they hustling right now and i give them i give them credit for doing that the movie just looks dumb i just want to give you guys an idea of what the movie's going to be about if you want to go check it out this weekend uh what what to expect or not to expect really and then definitely uh that's the good thing about rotten tomatoes is like as much as i don't like the website i don't look at the numbers as being in, indicative of of the quality but i like reading the snippets to give us an idea of what to expect so anyway, that actually wraps up today's episode of uh, Three Book Theater. I will talk to you guys again on Monday. Uh, if you haven't already, please uh, subscribe to Three Book Theater on YouTube. Check us out on uh, audio format, podcast, wherever, wherever this is at. And uh, find me on Twitter at Monday Matt. I'll talk to you guys later. Have yourself a fantastic weekend and peace out.